Welcome to the Reasoned Hope Podcast. In this podcast, we explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith and seek to show why the central hope found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. I hope that today's episode is both an encouragement and a challenge to you, whether you are a believer or a skeptic. Welcome and thank you for joining me for the second episode of the Reasoned Hope podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about what is apologetics and why does it matter? Why is it something that Christians should care about? Before we get to the central uh, teaching of today's episode, uh, I, I just want to reaffirm something that the the purpose of this podcast is to explore the intellectual credibility of the Christian faith and to show why that it's true, to show why that it makes sense of the world in which we live. Um, An important part of that is modeling an approach to the Christian faith that I've called thoughtful Christianity. And I talked about that a little bit in the first episode, uh, but I wanted to read just a couple uh, verses or passages from the Bible that uh, just stood out to me recently that sort of expressed the idea of thoughtful Christianity. So the first one is in Proverbs chapter 15, it's verse 14, and it says, A discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Now, a discerning mind is one that is able to make important distinctions in ideas, in evaluating ideas. A discerning mind is one that is aware of the ideas that are at play uh, in the culture in which one lives. It's it's a mind that's able to evaluate in a meaningful way. Um, And like it says here, a discerning mind seeks knowledge. So if you have a discerning mind, you're going to be somebody who is seeking to understand things and seeking to understand the things that matter most. Uh, which is what we try to discuss on this podcast, exploring the the reasons for Christian hope. The second part of this says, the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Now, there's all kinds of ways that can happen, but to feed on foolishness is not hard. It's very easy, especially nowadays, to kind of shut our brains off and to not really think meaningfully about our lives and the world in which we live. So I thought that was a good expression of what I'm trying to model here, Uh, a thoughtful approach to the Christian faith. A discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. A thoughtful Christian uh, is not going to be someone who is going to feed their mind on uh, foolish things, on, on things that are really intellectually bankrupt. Uh, so that's kind of the first one. The The second verse, um, it comes from Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul is talking about the armor of God. And, and he's talking about really how Christians are in a spiritual battle, that there's a spiritual battle going on in the world in which we live, and it's, it, it's extremely important for Christians to be aware of this and to be prepared for it. So he's talking about the armor of God, and he says um, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. 
So he says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So there's a lot there, but the the, the main point about thoughtful Christianity that I want to bring up is that in Proverbs we saw that it said a discerning mind seeks knowledge. And if a Christian is going to have a discerning mind about the world in which we live— then you're going to be aware of the spiritual battle that's taking place. Now, this is a battle that we oftentimes, we, we, we can't see. Uh, we can't see that it's taking place, but we see the effects of it. We see the fruits of it, the results of it. And so when Paul is talking here about how the Christian struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness— against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. He's talking about a real spiritual battle that's going on. And so part of having a discerning mind as a Christian is being aware of this and living each day in light of it. And that's why he's talking about how we need to depend upon God for strength. We need to be strengthened by the Lord and by His vast strength because we can't do anything uh, on our own and our own strength. Jesus said that unless we abide in him, we can't do anything. So this is an important part of what it means to be a thoughtful Christian, that you're aware of your need for God. You're aware of this spiritual battle taking place. And you're aware that this spiritual battle uh, largely takes place in the realm of ideas. So this is where the importance of apologetics comes in. Um, so We'll get into that now. Um, what is apologetics? Maybe you've heard this word before. Maybe you haven't. Uh, it's very simple to understand. A simple definition would be that it's just the defense of the Christian faith. This would be the intellectual defense of the Christian faith. To go a little further, another definition might be this. The attempt to respond to critiques of Christian claims in a biblically faithful, intellectually sound, and culturally appropriate manner. It actively seeks to persuade those who are skeptical to accept Christian beliefs. So this is a little bit more of a detailed definition, but notice that you get it's, it's the attempt to respond to uh, critiques of Christian claims. So it, it's responding to objections to Christian faith that uh, someone might have, and these can be all sorts of things. Uh, but it's their... their attempts to respond that are in a particular way. They seek to be biblically faithful, which means that if you're going to think as a Christian about how to respond to different challenges to the Christian faith, this needs to be done in a way that is faithful to what the Bible teaches, because the Bible is the foundational guidance for our Christian life. So if you're going to effectively respond to Christian uh, to objections to the Christian faith, then this has to be done in a way that that's stays to the truthfulness of Scripture. Uh, it also needs to be intellectually sound, which means that it needs to be a good response to the objections. It needs to address the objections adequately 
uh, and in a way that fits with uh, sound thinking. Um, so we don't want to have sloppy responses. We don't want to have responses that that don't accurately reflect the objection in the first place. We want to understand what the objection is and be able to state it back in a fair way that is clear, and that we want our response to address the concerns of the objection in a way that fits with uh, sound thinking. And that last piece would be that it's it's to be done in a culturally appropriate manner. Now, cultures are different uh, all over the world. There's a reason people talk about different cultures. It's because when you go to different cultures, there's uh, cultures differ in so many ways, but Largely, in the realm of ideas, cultures are going to differ in the things that they consider to be important, uh, things that touch upon matters of religious belief or non-belief. These kinds of things are going to look different depending on what culture that you go to. For instance, in the West, like in Europe and in the United States, many people perceive that science is somehow against uh, religious faith. Uh, that's characterized in many different ways. So, so there's a general suspicion or belief that science is somehow against the supernatural. Like if you're going to be a scientific person, then you're going to be rational and you're not going to believe in the supernatural or God or anything like that. But if you go to other parts of the world, say Africa, the idea that there, that there is no supernatural realm or that somehow it's irrational to believe in the supernatural that's really not a part of their culture. Their culture is very much aware of the supernatural, and so it's a different dynamic. So that's kind of what it means by how, depending on what culture that you go to, there's going to be somewhat different objections to the Christian faith. People are going to have different things that they perceive to be obstacles to belief in Christianity. So if you're going to have an effective response to these objections, you need to be aware of what the ideas in the culture are and how to address them adequately. So those are kind of two simple definitions. Apologetics is the defense of the Christian faith. It involves responding to critiques of Christian claims in a way that's biblically faithful, intellectually sound, and culturally appropriate. And it actively seeks to persuade those who are skeptical to accept Christian beliefs. So... Here we see there is a connection between apologetics and evangelism, that apologetics, the whole, the whole point and purpose of it, is to help people see that, uh, that it is reasonable to follow Jesus, that the worldview that is found in the Bible and that was given by Jesus makes sense. It makes the best sense of the world in which we live, and so, therefore, it, it's, uh, it makes sense to follow him because what he said was true. And so there's an element of persuasion there as well that's important. All right. The word apologetics comes from a Greek word uh, called apologia. And this basically refers to a courtroom defense that the accused would provide in the courts of Athens. So that's ancient Greece in the ancient world. Um, The apologia was a, a speech of defense that somebody was allowed to give in response to the charges that had been leveled against them uh, in the court. So there you kind of see how it, it, it comes from this sort of legal context, and it involves this defense. Now, while the idea of defense is important and central to apologetics, there's other aspects to it that 
uh, I want to talk about as well. So there's four various aspects to apologetics that I want to address. And the first one is proof. Uh, in proof, apologetics as proof uh, aims to show that the Christian faith is reasonable. So this is going to be uh, using different evidences and arguments to show that the Christian faith is reasonable. It's going to be making a positive case for the truthfulness of the Christian faith. And this is most often done with arguments from science, arguments from history, and arguments from philosophy. So apologetics is very uh, interdisciplinary, which means that it deals with many different disciplines drawing upon different sources of evidence and argumentation in order to show that there is a case to be made for the truthfulness of the Christian faith, the truthfulness of the Christian worldview, as opposed to uh, other worldviews that are at play. And maybe that's something that we'll get into more in future episodes. What What is a worldview, and how might we go about evaluating worldviews and thinking about worldviews? Uh, so apologetics is proof. Uh, is the first one. Uh, apologetics as defense is the second one. So we've already talked about how apologetics involves defending the truthfulness of the Christian faith against uh, objections. So this apologetics as defense aims to show that Christianity is not unreasonable. So there are many objections against the Christian faith that seek to show that it is unreasonable to believe in Christianity, uh, that another alternative is more reasonable, that some other worldview makes better sense of the world. And so uh, apologetics as defense is going to be uh, making a case that Christianity is not unreasonable. It's going to be responding to certain objections to the faith. So an objection might be that the Bible is not a reliable source for the life of Jesus. And so if the Bible is not a reliable source for the life of Jesus, then we can't really know what Jesus said and did. And if we don't know what he said and did, then to make all these claims about what it means to follow him and this hope that is uh, found in him is without any rational basis because we don't know whether or not uh, what is contained in the Bible or in the New Testament in particular is actually true. And so that would be an example of a certain kind of objection. So apologetics as defense would, would seek to show why that claim is misguided, why the Bible, in fact, uh, does contain reliable information and truthful information about the person of Jesus and the things that he said and did, and why Christian hope makes sense. So uh, apologetics as defense would be responding to specific objections. Now, the third aspect to apologetics is refutation. So apologetics as refutation aims to show that non-Christian thought is unreasonable. Now, I know at first that may sound a little weird or maybe perhaps offensive to some people to, to show that somebody else's way of thinking about religion is unreasonable or to show that their worldview is unreasonable. But keep in mind, everybody believes things because they think that they're true. And everybody has a worldview. They have a way that they think the world is, and they have a way of thinking about things like God and ethics and um, all sorts of things. These very important questions about human existence. And not all of these worldviews can be true. 
because they contain contradictory understandings of the way reality is, and reality is only one way. And our goal is to try to get to the truth of it. So, really, apologetics as refutation is about uh, coming from the perspective that the Christian faith is true and that all thought that opposes it is somehow misguided. Now, that claim, of course, that Christianity is true is, is, is open for investigation, and it should be. Um, if Christianity is not true, then we should want to know about that because we shouldn't want to believe something that isn't true. But from the perspective of this podcast, we're seeking to show why the Christian faith is true. And along the way, we will look at different objections to Christianity and consider them as carefully as we can um, in order to show why the Christian faith uh, makes sense of the world in which we live. But basically, apologetics as refutation would, would show why uh, a non-Christian way of thinking about the world fails to account adequately for central features of reality. I mean, this would be things like morality. It would be things like God. It would be things like Jesus and the claims that he made. So there's that's a huge category to get into. But for now, apologetics as refutation shows that non-Christian thought uh, is unreasonable in in some way. It doesn't make sense of the world in which we live in an adequate way. And the final aspect to apologetics would be persuasion. So we've talked about this a little bit as well. Apologetics as persuasion seeks to convince non-Christians to trust Jesus and follow him. So there's a connection, like I said, between apologetics and evangelism. Evangelism is sh- is uh, sharing and presenting the gospel uh, about Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, in, in, in an effort to call people to trust in him for their salvation and to follow him with their lives, to commit their lives to him. So the point of apologetics is to defend and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why this podcast, the title is Reasoned Hope. Uh, apologetics shows that there are reasons for the hope in Christ um, and that people should trust in him and follow him. So various various aspects to apologetics. One is proof that aims to show that the Christian faith is reasonable. Defense uh, aims to show that Christianity is not unreasonable, responding to objections. Refutation aims to show that non-Christian thought is unreasonable, so this is going on the offensive a little bit. And apologetics as persuasion seeks to convince non-Christians to trust Jesus and follow him. Okay, I want to move on now to some biblical passages that refer to apologetics. If apologetics is so important to the Christian life, then certainly the Bible should have something to say about it, and it does. And I'm just going to look at um, three passages here. So the first is one that if you've read anything about apologetics, you've probably seen this quite a bit. It's usually the first one people reference when they're talking about apologetics. So this comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and it says this, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So Peter here is, he, he says that we're to first, in our hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. So this is flowing from a commitment in all of life that a Christian has to Jesus Christ, to honor him with the way that we live, and to seek him and to love him on a daily basis. So that's the, the posture from which this uh, readiness, he says, we're to be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So we're to be ready to provide a defense. That word for defense there is the word apologia, which I referenced earlier. So it's important to, to understand that Apologetics is to be conducted in a way that is respectful of other people, regardless of what uh, someone else believes. We are to be uh, gentle and respectful in the way that we talk with others about uh, the Christian faith, in the way that we talk to others about the reasonableness of the gospel. So that's really important to get because sometimes, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, people can perceive apologetics as something that is arrogant. But if we understand it from a biblical perspective, we'll see that there's really no place for that. So we're to honor, we're to regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet we're to do this with gentleness and respect. So that's really important to get. Now, the second uh, couple passages that I want to read come from the book of Philippians. So, the first one is from Philippians chapter 1, it's verse 7. Paul says this, Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, this is just one verse, but in the context here, Paul is basically, he's writing to the, the Philippian Christians, and he's encouraging them, um, celebrating the, the, the faith in Christ that they have. But it's significant that the way that he talks about the ministry that he's been given, he says, you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul's been imprisoned for his missionary work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he characterizes it as not only a confirmation of the gospel message, but a defense of it, which is really significant. Paul understood a key part of his ministry as the defense of the gospel, not just the proclamation of the gospel, but the defense of the gospel. And the second one is verse 16, Philippians 1.16 where um, Paul says this, To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So, again, he he affirms that a, a key aspect of his ministry is the defense of the gospel, the proclamation and the defense of the gospel. And I want to say that Today, the, the mission for Christians in the world remains the same. We've been given the Great Commission by Jesus. You, you can read about that at the end of Matthew's 
gospel, but we're commissioned to proclaim the gospel and to teach others to follow Christ and to obey Him. But this involves a defense as well. Now, the last passage that I want to read is a little bit longer, but I think it's so important for understanding the biblical basis for uh, apologetics. So this is from the book of Acts, chapter 17. It's, it starts in verse 16. The context here is that the Apostle Paul is, is in the ancient Greek city of Athens, and he's basically waiting upon some other um, ministry partners that he has to join him there. But while he's waiting, uh, this is what happens. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, He seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth, and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, but others said, We'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now that passage is really, really interesting and really important for understanding the, the place of apologetics in the Christian life and for Christian witness. So there's a lot here. We don't have time to go through every little bit of it, but I, ju I just want to make some key observations. So 
at the beginning of the passage, Paul is, uh, it says that he's deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. So in ancient, in the ancient world, people people made, they fashioned images of the gods that they worshipped out of stone and wood and things like that. There was a whole industry devoted to the production of, of, of these idols, these physical representations of deities that people worshipped. And so Paul is observing this, and it says he's deeply distressed by it, because from his perspective, he sees uh, these people as uh, engaging in false worship, that they're worshiping false uh, deities. They're not worshiping the true God. And so this is why he's distressed. He sees people who, who are lost. And his response is interesting. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worship God as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So his response is to engage people in reasoning with them about their beliefs. He, he engages with people on this basis, reasoning with them about what they believe and about the gospel. And he begins to uh, speak with the philosophers there as well. So he's, he's talking with people about the message of Jesus Christ in such a way that, that connects with where these other people are at and their beliefs, and it gains an interest He's brought to this place called the Areopagus, which was sort of just like a, um, I think it was like a, used as sort of like a, a court-type setting, but it was also used as a place where people would discuss the latest ideas, which is sort of what it says here. But the important point is that they're interested in what he has to say. They say, may we learn about this new teaching you are presenting, because what you say sounds strange to us, and we want to know what these things mean. So they're interested to hear what he has to say. And then he stands up in the middle of this group and he makes a argument for uh, the Christian faith in a way that represents some of the things that we've already talked about, these key aspects of apologetics. So he seeks to connect with his audience. He says, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect, that he's observed... uh, the objects of worship that are all throughout the city. So he, he, he identifies that they have a religious aspect to them, that they're aware of the importance of, of God or, 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 or gods in some sense. So he seeks to identify that as something that, that he can connect with. But it's interesting, they have an altar that is to an unknown God. And this is usually interpreted as the people created this altar because they didn't want to somehow miss offering worship to a God they were unaware of. And Paul identifies this as something significant and basically says, this God that you identify as unknown, that you have some awareness of, I'm going to tell you who this God is. So he begins to make an argument, as in, this God is the one who made the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in shrines made by hands. He, he doesn't need human beings to give him anything or to serve him, that he's completely self-sufficient, um, and that he's the one who's created every person, and that he has done this so that people might seek him and perhaps might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. And he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. So Paul is making an argument here by saying, we, we can know this God. 
the God that you identify as unknown, we can know him. He's actually the true God, the God who has created everything, and the God who uh, is, is, is not found in images that people create. He's the one who has given life and breath to everything. He's the one who sustains uh, everything in existence, and that he desires for us to seek him, that he's not far from each one of us. And then he identifies, uh, he, he takes a quote from one of their Greek poets. Uh, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So this was from a, a Greek poet that had this line that said that we, we are the offspring of the divine. And Paul latches onto this and he makes an argument from this and says, Since we are God's offspring, then. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. So what Paul is doing is he's taking an observable feature of the world, the nature of human beings, and he's saying if God has created us human beings and we observe how we are, the nature of human beings, um, then we'll understand that the divine nature that God himself cannot be a being that we simply manufacture. If we are the offspring of the divine nature, just like your Greek poets have said, then this cannot be, uh, then, then the nature of God cannot be such that human beings would create the divine nature out of their own imagination and the materials of the world, like gold or silver or stone. So, That is a a pattern of argumentation that would be taking things about the world and seeking the best explanation for them. And uh, so this is sort of the argument that Paul is offering. Um, And then he ends by saying, basically, that God has overlooked the times of ignorance. He commands all people everywhere to repent, to turn from living for themselves, to turn from their their sin and their false worship, uh, because there's a day of judgment coming. There's a day when God is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed, and he's talking about Jesus here. It's really interesting what he says. He says he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So here we see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ functions as proof of the gospel message. And you can find this same kind of thing in 1 Corinthians 15 as well, where Paul talks about the significance of the resurrection. But that's very interesting to me. Um, He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So um, this this passage is usually understood to be an abbreviation of of Paul's full speech that he gave. But I think just from reading this here, you can see some of these elements of apologetics that we've talked about. Paul is making a case for the reasonableness of the gospel, and he's calling people to trust in Christ— and he's showing how it makes sense of the world. And the response is mixed. Uh, the last part of the passage says, when, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. So the role of apologetics here has been accomplished. It has served the purposes of presenting and defending the gospel, and some people responded, and some people didn't, and that's how it goes. But that's how apologetics is sort of supposed to work. Um, it doesn't guarantee that every person is going to see the truthfulness of the gospel, um, 
but it does provide reasons for the hope in Christ and why people should place their trust in him for their salvation. Um, so that's that's overall, I think, a basic case of why apologetics is biblical, and I think that's really important. Uh, if apologetics is so central to the Christian life, like I already said, then uh, we should be able to find support for it in the Bible. And I think when you go and look at uh, examples like we just did, and the attitude in Scripture towards the defense of the gospel, we'll see that it's uh, we we we've seen that it's central, central to the mission. And this is all to say nothing of the history of apologetics. If you go back and read church history, there was a group of writers in the early history of the church. I think in the second and third century is is when this group kind of uh, became prominent, but they were called the apologists, and they offered defenses of the uh, Christian claims to those who were writing uh, refutations of Christianity. So really, objections to the Christian faith are nothing new. It's been happening since day one, since the early church. Even when you go back and, and look at the ministry of Jesus, now he interacted with the religious leaders of the day. They they were debating with him, and he was interacting with them about uh, his own claims. And so apologetics has a rich history um, throughout the Christian faith. It's It's central to the proclamation of the gospel, and that's why it's important. So to close out today's episode, I just want to talk about maybe some objections to apologetics, some concerns that people might have, uh, especially Christians, towards apologetics. So one objection to apologetics that is is common is that some Christians think that uh, Christians are simply called to share the gospel. So all this talk about the intellectual defense of the gospel is really not necessary, that our call is to simply share the gospel. And while I understand and appreciate the emphasis on sharing the gospel that this this uh, perspective provides, I think just based upon the things we've already talked about, you can see how that comes up short because uh, apologetics is connected to sharing the gospel. This doesn't mean that every time as a Christian that you go to share the gospel with somebody that you're going to need to make use of apologetics. Certainly not. Uh, everybody is uh, at a different place in their beliefs, and for some people, they just hear the gospel, and that's enough for them, at least initially. And, but for others, hearing the gospel raises a lot of questions that need uh, addressing, and so that's where apologetics would come in. So um, I, I think we can see why that, that first objection to apologetics really isn't that strong. The second one is, the, the idea that people don't believe things for rational reasons. So this is usually coming from a place where somebody thinks that people, when people choose to believe something, they don't do it for rational reasons, they do it for other reasons, maybe emotional reasons, things like that. And I would say that this is true for some people. Some people, when they first approach options for their beliefs, religious beliefs in particular, they're not primarily thinking about this from a rational perspective. They're not thinking about, first and foremost, whether or not it makes logical or rational sense. Maybe they like the emotional uh, support or the communal support or the comfort 
that certain beliefs provide. And so there's certainly many people who, who approach, that's sort of their primary approach to their beliefs. But I would say that you can't really make a generalization about all people like this because I've met many people and heard them talk about how they want to believe what is true. They don't want to believe something that isn't true just because it makes them feel good. They want to believe what is actually true, what actually fits with sound reason, logic, and evidence. So for many people, it's the exact opposite. Their primary approach to what they believe is going to be uh does this make rational sense? And I would say that became an important question for me when I was in about seventh grade, like I talked about in the first episode of the podcast. I, I realized that I couldn't just believe in Christianity because my parents and my teachers told me it was true. I had to, I had to look into it for myself and decide whether or not I thought it was true, whether or not there was good reason to think it was true. So I, I, I don't think this second objection really follows through either. A third one would be apologetics just doesn't work. So some people think that they've seen examples of where apologetics has been practiced. Uh, Maybe somebody has a handful of objections to Christianity. A Christian offers responses to these objections, and the person is still unconvinced. And so for some people, this seems to indicate that apologetics just doesn't work. It doesn't fulfill uh, a certain need, whatever that need they might perceive to be. And certainly, uh, yeah, just because a Christian offers answers to objections to the Christian faith, or they might make a case for the truthfulness of the gospel, this does not guarantee that somebody listening is going to accept it. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to believe But I think it's important to understand that that's not the measure of success for apologetics. And to see this, we can apply the same thing to evangelism. Evangelism is the process and the act of presenting the gospel to somebody else, sharing the message of Christ with somebody else so that they will receive Christ, they will trust in him. But we wouldn't say that evangelism fails or presenting the gospel fails because uh, somebody doesn't believe after hearing it, uh, because if that if that was the case, then we could say that evangelism doesn't work and that we shouldn't do evangelism. So whether you're doing apologetics, offering a defense of the gospel, or um, something like that, or whether you're doing evangelism where you're just presenting it to somebody else, the response of the person is not the measure of success. Like we saw in the chapter in Acts 17, with Paul, there was a mixed response to his uh, proclamation and the defense of the gospel. Some ridiculed him, but others said, we'd like to hear more about this, and others believed. And so the pattern in the Bible for both apologetics and evangelism is is to, to not guarantee that everyone is going to believe, uh, but to say that we need to be faithful in uh, proclaiming and defending the gospel. So I don't think this third objection works either. A fourth one is apologetics is for academics, not for the lay Christian. Oftentimes, apologetics is perceived to be very academic, um, to be inaccessible for the the average Christian. You know that that in order to do apologetics or be interested in it, you have to have a PhD. Uh, or at least some kind of master's degree in theology or apologetics or something like that. But 
for the average Christian, apologetics really doesn't have uh, an important place. It's not really accessible. That's usually the way that this uh, perspective is cashed out. And I just want to say that a large purpose of this podcast is to help show why that is not true, that apologetics is something that matters for every Christian, and it's certainly not something that is inaccessible. And I think oftentimes maybe the reason that, that there is this perception of apologetics being purely academic is that uh, it's not been taught very well. Apologetics has not been taught very well to a lot of Christians, and so it, it just it, it wasn't something they really absorbed, and it's not really something that they feel is uh, applicable to their Christian life, something they can get a handle on. And so I'd, I just want to say that, that a large purpose of this podcast is to help you see why apologetics is important for your Christian life, whether or not you've been to seminary or not, um, and why that it is accessible and it is something that you can learn and grow in. So I, I don't think there's any basis for the fourth objection either. Now, the fifth one is that apologetics is arrogant, and hopefully uh, you've seen, based upon our discussion of the biblical perspective on it, that this just uh, is not a generalization that you can make about apologetics overall. Yes, apologetics can be done in an arrogant way, and unfortunately it has in many respects, um, but this is people on both sides. You can be an apologist for atheism uh, just as much as you can be an apologist for Christianity. And so this objection really has to do not with apologetics itself, but with the manner in which apologetics is done. And as we saw from 1 Peter 3.15, Christians are commanded to provide a defense of their faith in a way that reflects gentleness and respect towards others. And so I don't think that the fifth objection really holds up either. I also have some points about why apologetics matters, and we, we've we already touched on a lot of these, so I'll just go through them quickly to wrap up today's podcast. Um, the first one is that everyone is already an apologist. So regardless of what you believe, we all uh, provide a defense of some sort of what we think is true. So everyone is an apologist, whether you're a Christian, whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Buddhist or something else, um, in some manner— you are going to offer a defense of what you think is true when those beliefs are called into question. So we're already all doing apologetics in some sense. The question is, are we doing it, if we're Christians, are we doing it in a way that is uh, honoring to Christ and intellectually sound? Uh, the second point, already made this, apologetics is dispensable to evangelism. We cannot present the gospel in today's culture without some sort of defense for why people should think it's true. I just think uh, that's the environment that we're in, and I think for many people, presenting the gospel raises a lot of questions, and Christians have to be ready with at least some sort of um, defense of why the gospel should be accepted. The third is apologetics strengthens the faith of Christians. So apologetics is not only about defending the gospel against objections, apologetics... Uh, it, it helps to strengthen your faith as a Christian when you learn more about the reasons for hope in Christ that there are. This strengthens your own faith, and I think that's that's crucial. Uh, it's really important. That's a very important function of apologetics. Number four is apologetics has a cultural uh, influence, and it shows that Christianity cannot be dismissed as an irrelevant, irrational worldview. This is really important. 
public debates between uh, Christian intellectuals and non-Christian intellectuals show that the Christian faith, that Christian claims, are a rationally viable option. It gives credibility, intellectual credibility, to the claims of the gospel so that the Christian faith can't simply just be dismissed uh, as irrelevant or irrational uh, carelessly. There's a lot of people who have that attitude towards Christianity. They just dismiss it, don't even give it any serious consideration because to them it's just not plausible. So I think an important function of apologetics is to show that this attitude towards the Christian faith is not a good one, that Christianity does have intellectual credibility, um, it does offer a perspective on the world that should be taken seriously by those who want to be thoughtful about what they believe and those who care about truth. And finally, the last reason apologetics matters is that it encourages dialogue between Christians and non-Christians. And I think this is so important. People who believe differently need to be able to discuss their beliefs in a way that is respectful towards each other, gentle, and uh, in the efforts of seeking truth. Remember that quote from the beginning uh, from the book of Proverbs that a discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mind of fools feeds on foolishness. So we don't want to be those who are feeding our minds on what is foolish. We want to have discerning minds that are about seeking what is true. And so having discussions between Christians and non-Christians, people who have completely different worldviews in an effort to pursue what is true, is vital. So I, I, I think that serves a very important cultural function. All right, well, those are five reasons why apologetics mat- matters, and we went through five objections to apologetics. Uh, we've talked about the biblical basis for apologetics and sort of what apologetics even is in the first place. So I know uh, today's podcast was a little bit longer, but hopefully it was one that was encouraging to you if you're a Christian. And uh, if you are a non-Christian, hopefully it just gives you uh, some things to think about. Well, that is it for today's podcast. Thank you again for joining me. Um, And please, if this is a podcast that you are interested in or you think others would be interested in, please subscribe to it. Please pass it along to others. And remember that there are reasons for hope in Christ. 